Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast, or uh, as Sam and Dan, the two hosts, now know it, our only source of income. Um, <laughs> uh, my name is Dan Martin, special effects artist. I'm not a fucking special effects artist anymore. Stay at home man and <laughs> podcaster. And I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst. And I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a Brian De Palma fanboy. Now, let's get the, the big thing out of the way first. Um, because I think that maybe people are going to be listening to this, Dan, to take their minds off the... Um, you know what's going on in the outside world so i don't know we prob- bad luck i'm gonna talk about it a lot <laughs> yeah, yeah i was gonna say <laughs> as much as like we could just do a whole podcast on that and only that and every two weeks Ooh. until the end of time um i think we should probably try to focus on on movies and stuff what do you think we're, we're having yes. this conversation I, I, on mic because we haven't discussed this yeah of course of course, um, no, I know. I I agree, and I think that that's uh, yeah. Like I think that these little oases, yeah, is that the plural of oasis? Oasises of uh, of respite from all the horrible and weird, mostly weird actually for for the people I know, but obviously horrible for a lot of people. World out there um, are quite welcome. So we'll we'll acknowledge it. <laughs> Unlike last time when because we'd recorded in advance, we were beautifully uh unaware yeah um yeah well, I, I guess we'll acknowledge what's going on we can't not especially yes. because of what it's done to release schedules and stuff but also we're not gonna bang on about it too much uh separately you know my my cooking in the apocalypse podcast should be going up i'm not doing that hooray <laughs> um yeah no i i want to echo that really um we we were blissfully unaware last episode um and now we are very much aware and uh we feel for anyone who's worried and um you know we we feel even more for people who have been affected by it or or someone in the family or their friends are affected by it It, it's awful and and we are your friends and we are here um to cheer you up basically so um to distract you (laughs) yeah yeah to distract you with our nonsense so with that out of the way dan uh this fortnight we're doing sisters another de palma film yeah uh why don't you tell the precious arrowheads what sisters is all about sisters is about a a a game show contestant who goes on a date with a girl with a scar on her tummy yep basically that's it (laughs) (laughs) and then chaos reigns um, and chaos reigns uh yeah it's an it's an early film from uh de palma he's he's fully fully channeling alfred in this one uh and it's yeah it's a sort of what's the best way to do it it's sort of part detective movie from the outside part uh sort of like the little little bits of sl- elements of slasher in it um it's a fun slightly more b-movie film from de palma yeah, yeah, is that yeah, fair? yeah. I'd, I'd say that's fair. One of his one of his beer films. Did you say he's channeling Alfred? Alfred. Yeah. What What's Batman's Butler got to do with this film? Oh well, I just thought that there was a sort of a level of sort of like austere calmness in the face <laughs> of insanity. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, um, you're right. It is kind of very kind of b-movie and i guess you know we've, we've discussed several of, of de palma's films and there's always a a little sprinkling of b-movie in his work but um it's kind of in its purest form here it kind of uh, sisters feels a little bit like de palma 
kind of finding his feet and finding his style and finding the themes that, that he kind of wants to explore until the end of time. Um, you know, the opening scene, like, basically sums up the whole of his career, doesn't it? It's got voyeurism, um, information delivered got via it. television, uh, subtle bit of foreshadowing, and, you know, it, it's a kind of... <laughs> you mean the, the, the prize? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> more the, the guy in the audience um, who will stand out to, to Palmer oh. fans. But Well, and also anyone, because <laughs> he looks mad. <laughs> um but yeah in in addition to batman's butler there's also an influence of hitchcock in here too um i I think (laughs) i don't know that's radical isn't it they're both called alfred so whoa (laughs) um but yeah the the music's very it's sort of it's obviously bernard herman it's fucking bernard herman he he can't not be hitchcock e uh because it's hitchcock's man but um he's basically he's basically dating his friend's ex-girlfriend like his hero's ex-girlfriend by (laughs) by hiring bernard herman to do the soundtrack for this yeah essentially and yeah i you know i'm not gonna say this is de palma's best film uh, but it's still very solid, and you can see the roots of stuff like Blowout in it for sure, which is obviously an infinitely superior film. But yeah, and and like all of these kind of things, all of the kind of seventy stuff that was influenced by Hitchcock, it does feel very jalloy, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we've we sort of we covered this a little bit in in a previous podcast, yeah. but I think it's less that this is Giallo-y and it's more that this and Giallo's in general, Gialli, were drawing from the same pool of inspiration. Yeah, yeah that's that's that what I'm saying. Yeah, um, like yeah. like all of that stuff it, it is very connected and and some cool technical stuff in here. I love the split screen um, stuff. It's, yeah, obviously, it's, it's always very great. smart when he uses that. And yeah, I, I guess we probably shouldn't go too much into the third act or, or anything like that because, again, this is probably one of the lesser seen ones and it's uh, still available, even though it's quite an old release by Arrow Video, it is still available to buy. Um, and it's quite a nice little set, isn't it? It's, 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 yeah, so I think it's, I think it's an interesting one, partly because it's a cocktail of three Hitchcock films, yeah. first and foremost, which is normally he sets his while he likes a general Hitchcock feel he normally kind of sets his sights on one in particular and then also because I think that it's while it is more sort of like b-movie than really a lot of his later output it survives better than some of his later like I'm thinking particularly of Dress to Kill right which while it feels slicker I think hasn't aged as well well, that's, whereas that's, while this one falls into a lot of the pitfalls of like Hollywood, oh, fuck, I don't want to spoil it too much. Yeah, but but like ho- Hollywood depictions of mental illness and one mental illness in particular. Are you um, are you getting on your podium I, again, Dan? No, I'm not at all. Okay, um, I think that this one actually comes out of that pretty well compared to something like say Twisted Nerve, mm-hmm. which you know another Bernard Herrmann score. Um, is that Bernard? That is Bernard Herrmann, isn't it? Yeah. Which uh, which has not aged well <laughs> at all. I I don't know. I think it's, maybe it's just because of the things that are um, that that we now like that we've recently seen as problematic. But I think that this one fares much better than something like Dress to Kill. Even though actually, I think Dress to Kill has a more a better structure, and that I personally think this one slightly falls apart in the third act. I I enjoyed the first two acts of this a lot more. Um, than Dress to Kill because it didn't leave me like I, I like a 
I like a B movie a lot, mm. and I like something that that plays around with distasteful subjects. But at the yeah. same time, this didn't feel me leave me feeling slightly uncomfortable, like Dressed to Kill did. See, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've I think I've been uh, on a bit of a journey on, on this podcast. I think uh, I used to be a lot more. Um, concerned with problematic stuff and you know worried about it and trying to protect people from certain elements of these old exploitation movies um but now i think i i think it's just asking a lot of all of these films to to not be problematic like because they were made in a in a different era and at a different time and you know if they weren't cast Castigated at the time. Castigated? Is that a word? Yeah, castigated is yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think I'm saying it weirdly. But yeah, if, if they weren't told off at the time... <laughs> reprimanded. Reprimanded. Um, then it's kind of a bit hard to, to, to hold them up to the same standards as something that's made today. Oh, no, I, I completely agree. And I'm certainly not expecting a f- uh, films from the past to echo the sentiments of modernity. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that there's a difference between something like this, which is kind of like gleefully subversive, mm. um, and some other films that are around now, like, you know, that are getting re-released, re-seen for the first time in a long time, that actually air problematic ideals rather than just challenging people's, uh, like, senses of good taste. Mm. And, uh, and those are two very distinctly different categories. I think I might have told this story before, but uh, I was uh, when I was in Toronto uh, last year. Um, I went to a screening with uh, Colin Geddes, who does a lot of like sort of retrospective filmmaking, and we were talking about old movies and the problem with modern films trying to represent some of those uh, some of those styles. And he came up with the best uh, allegory that I've. Uh, I've I've heard for that, which is that you you know we can appreciate the beauty of a photograph of a fur coat, but we're not making fur coats now because we know that they're not acceptable. Mm. It doesn't stop them being beautiful in hindsight; they're still beautiful things. But there's no reason for us to be making them now, uh, and I think that 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 feeds into this. Like I've really liked. We'll, we'll get onto it later because this in the talking about what we watched recently, but. But I, I think that there's a there is a space for people making deliberately provocative film these days. But uh, the the problem is you can't make films like you did in the sixties and seventies because we're a different society now. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's room for both. I think as long as um, you're not hurting anyone, and you know, as long as you're not instigating, you know, as long as you're not a mad racist or a mad misogynist or whatever it is. If you want to push boundaries in horror, you should be allowed to. I think there's room in horror for, um, you know, movies that quite rightly tackle the demons of our day, you know, who who want to take on, um, you know, political stuff. Uh, But I think there's also, there also should be room for the outliers and for the outsiders and for the people who want to make weird fucked up shit to freak people out. Um, I think there should be room for both. I don't think. Yeah, I think. I, you know, but I think we're. I don't I think, think we're everyone the same should, point, should. To be honest, I don't think we're in disagreement. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so too. But um, just the fur coat thing, you know, um, I, I just think there's. 
I'm not saying I want to see real fur coats. It sounds like you're saying we should be making <laughs> fur coats. But, <laughs> but in, uh, I'm trying to make your metaphor work with my point because your metaphor is, is a very different point, um, which is that, you know, fur coats, they used to make them, but now don't wear fake fur. Whereas to use your metaphor, not my own personal <laughs> beliefs, yeah. I feel like, you know, put a little bit of fur on a jacket. Don't make a whole one, but you can put a little bit of fur on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Cut a patch I off think, a I think that I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divert from that metaphor because I feel <laughs> we are stretching it a little thin. But I, I think that the, the difference is the intent of the maker. Yeah. And it's quite easy to go back to the 70s and find films that were made by racists and misogynists, or, you know, or even to the early thousands. And those will always be innately problematic. And I think that the further we get, the more we're able to see the difference between them. So we can see a film from the 70s that's still dealing with a lot of super offensive stuff and may may be making some quite offensive points, but is coming from a position that isn't endorsing those opinions. So, uh, And that's very different to, uh, to a filmmaker who was making them because they, were, they themselves held those positions to be true. Absolutely. So here's where we get back on to depart. Palmer, and I have to ask the question. Um, so, just by by this logic, do you believe that? And, and you know, because of how uncomfortable you were were by dressed to kill, do you believe that um, De Palma is a transphobe, or are you coming at it from from my point of view, which is he is a Hitchcock fan, and there are some transphobic stuff. There's some transphobic stuff in, in some Hitchcock yeah movies. some some retrospectively problematic stuff in hitchcock yeah. whether or not hitchcock was transphobic is exactly is difficult because it was more outsider at the time i mean gender reassignment didn't exist back then the idea of transvesticism which is a word that sort of slipped away that was considered a, a deviant practice back in hitchcock's era uh, i i think that when dress to kill was made some of the some of the positions that he was coming from were already a little bit stale. And I think that with a modern lens, they feel more uncomfortable. I don't necessarily feel, and I, I you know, I haven't read enough interviews with him to get a feeling as to his, uh, his opinion. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's not overtly transphobic. But um, but I do feel that the film itself didn't have quite enough merits to make to to overcome my discomfort with with some of the things it was saying. Oh, that's interesting. Whereas, so so the whereas, merits of the film. So sorry, go on. no, you, you finish your point. Well, well, it's uh, the merits of a film only really come into play when it's in the balance. Like there are films when when you know a racist has made a movie, it doesn't matter how good the movie is; it was still made by a racist. Yeah. Similarly, when you know someone made a film with good intentions, even if it misfired, then you have to cut it a certain amount of slack because mm. you know that what they intended, even if they failed in that, uh, was different to necessarily how it reads. Um, with Dress to Kill, it's yeah, I, it's it's not up to me to say what De Palma's intention was. I don't feel that the quality of the film, for me at least, justifies the level of discomfort I have with the way in which he handles some of that subject matter. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess yeah, to get back on sisters, and and we we again, we shouldn't talk too much about. Yeah, it's um, very hard to discuss yeah, this completely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
But, uh, yeah, I, I guess what it comes down to with all of this stuff is the difference between, you know, uh, representation and endorsement. Yes, like I, that's a very, very good way of saying it. Yeah, I, know, I just had um, the world premiere of A Little More Flesh at uh, Starburst, and obviously that's a film that, that's uh, very much a representation and not an endorsement. Uh, but the first question in the Q&A was um, something like, are you going to say sorry or are you going to apologise? Like <laughs> and I was like, fuck me. <laughs> what an opener to a Q&A. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, slightly awkward. But, yeah, it, it's, it's a tricky one um, because you do want to be transgressive and you do want to discuss difficult topics and, and, and that kind of thing. But the danger of doing it is that one day... You know, a film critic or a film fan is going to watch your film and think, "What a fucker!" Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this this prick. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the 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 thing is, if if a moment in your film can be taken heavily out of context, mm. you or one as a filmmaker yeah. cannot be held responsible for the context that people inflict upon that moment. Yes, but if the film as a whole is problematic then that's a different thing. Mm. And having seen, albeit an early version of A Little More Flesh, yeah. I think that if someone were willing to sit through the whole film, and you know, I say willing because it's an uncomfortable watch, that they would see that the point it's making is not innately problematic, yeah. merely that it deals with deeply problematic things and attitudes and events. I don't think that... You know, I'm basically just saying you've made a film that's better than at least one of De Palma's films. <laughs> hey, Ray. Right, I'm back on board. I'm back you can on put your that on side. The poster. <laughs> I agree with whatever you have to say. Quote, this point better on. than at least one of De Palma's films. <laughs> I am having that. <laughs> but 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 I don't I don't think that Dress to Kill can really say that. I don't think that even taken as a whole, it it brings a position that is not it's not making an argument that's not problematic. We're not wanting to spoil your film, yeah. but I think that by the end of the movie, you you know you very much know who the villains are, and you uh, and and the good people as they stand in the film have not presented as world like as as understood truths anything that's innately problematic. Whereas the people in uh, the people in Dressed to Kill, mm. I think it's not that black and white yeah no I, I i can we're talking about the wrong fucking film <laughs> no we are but but the reason we're talking about the wrong film is i feel that both the potentially problematic stuff in sisters and the um from your perspective and you know i'm not i'm not arguing with that uh problematic stuff in dress to kill i think they both come from the same root cause so that's why they're connected it's it's bloody hitchcock it's alfred's fault well okay so the thing is so uh, Sisters is on the surface. It's it's borrowing heavily from Rear Window and Psycho, uh, and it's and well, and, and I'd say to a to a lesser extent, it's more subtle about it's it's borrowing from Psycho, and you like I don't know. Yeah, the Psycho the Psycho stuff becomes more apparent down the line. Yeah, but when you're when you're in the first act, first act and a half, you're really just aware of the Rear Window and a bit of rope. Mm-hmm. And actually, the rope bits were my favourite bits of the film. The bits where it was borrowing from rope. Yeah. As soon as it got into the Psycho stuff, I don't know. I, I think the, th- the thing is, Psycho is so iconic that it it's like when you hear a song you know really, really well, but you hear a cover version of it, mm. and it, it just feels off rather than fresh. Yeah. 
And whereas I really liked the first two acts of Sisters, once it got into the the third act, I was I was significantly less interested. I'd say that the De Palma also, I think, got slightly disinterested in Sisters towards the third act. Like he said in a he said in a recent interview that Sisters was the only film other than Domino where he uh, by the end he was so disenchanted with the people that had financed it that he said guys here it is good luck <laughs> and just like handed it over and fucked off yeah, man. I love Department <laughs> now I don't know how in sequence they shot the movie yeah. but if they shot it even remotely in sequence and there is a very distinct style shift in the third act yeah. it would make sense oh good old Department he's such a contrarian um, <laughs> yeah uh, and if you want to learn more about all of the influences, dear Precious Arrowhead, there is a wonderful visual essay on this disc. Oh, really good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. You know, uh, uses really great use of image and, and video. Um, it kind of looks at the direct influence that Hitchcock had on Sisters. But there's some other influences covered by the video essay I had never actually noticed the rosemary's baby stuff i don't know if you had on a previous watch dan but um no i had not no and so that was lovely to have that pointed out um really really well done so yeah and and it's a it's you know it's not robocop or american wealth in london levels of extras but what's here is very good yeah, it, I mean, it's but innately it's an earlier Arrow title. Yeah. It's not quite as sumptuous, but it's it's a really nice print, and it's got yeah, it's got some really solid extras on it. Yeah, and and some of those extras include some uh, very cool interviews, um, a surprising number, uh, including an audio interview with William Finley, which is great to hear. And then there's a, another visual essay, uh, the De Palma Digest. Uh, yeah, which is yeah. you know another really good visual essay. I probably prefer the influences one um just because you know i know de palma so well but if you're a relative newcomer to to de palma the the de palma digest is a nice little summation though i would always recommend you watch the documentary de palma which i've recommended on a previous podcast in relation yeah i think we both both recommended yeah it's just such a great such a great um film about a filmmaker um if you haven't watched that yet uh i recommend it shall we go into recommendations yeah, 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 let's do it. Okay, what what have you got? Uh, well, I don't know if you want to go first or not. I, there's a there's a very low key chance that you're going to recommend one of the same films I'm going to recommend, but then maybe I should go first because I haven't got a backup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Okay, uh, you go. I first. do. I do have. I've got a low key. I've got a low key backup, but it's a it's a it's a it's a lower recommend. But oh, it's a, it's a good backup. Um, well, I've, I'm in a similar boat here. Uh, at the top of my list, there is a film I think that you're going to recommend. Uh, you go first. Oh, let's well, take no, the fuck risk. it, go. You go no, first. No, let's go roll first. the Do dice. Yours. Do yours first. You, you go first, come on. Well, so how about this? I'm going to give you a clue to mine. Yeah. And if you feel you're safe, I'll just go ahead. Okay. So this is a film that on any other podcast would probably be a Sam recommendation for something you'd watched in the last couple of weeks. Oh. Oh. I'm going to let you go for it. That's a very... I like that clue, though. Go on. What is it? All right. Uh, so my uh, my uh, first recommendation is a 1961 film by uh, a, f- a favourite director of Sam's and a favourite director of a lot of people, justifiably, Mr. Ingmar Bergman. Oh. Uh, and it's Through a Glass Darkly. Wonderful. Wonderful recommendation. Which I think yeah. is a, a lovely tie-in. Yeah. 
Um, Through a Glass Darkly is uh, a movie about a young woman that returns home from a trip to hospital and who is having a series of uh, probably psychotic episodes. Uh, But the film is mostly about how that shift in the family dynamic affects the other relationships within the family. And it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's one of Bergman's more overtly genre films, even though it's not a genre film per se. Uh, because a lot of the tone plays with like sort of horror elements and yeah and it's just absolutely chocker with fantastic uh, performances not least of which the the female lead who is doing a fantastic job of of dealing with what may or may not be uh, being confronted by the metahedron <laughs> wonderful yeah great great movie great recommendation well the one that i thought you were going to do um which i feel a bit safer in saying now uh, is a little bit more lowbrow, but um, it's made by an author just as magnificent. Uh, that is Frank Henenlotter's Basket Case. <laughs> <laughs> I see we have entirely swapped roles for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, basically it's another um, twin movie. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's all I'm going to say. Just watch Basket Case. That's it. In fact, the, the entire trilogy, there, there is a, a, a drop-off in, well, I don't want to say quality, but just in tone, I guess. Basket case In two. narrative. In narrative, <laughs> yeah. It's just so fucking mad. Like, the first one is a legitimately great film um, with weird elements, whereas the other two yeah. are weird elements um, mixed together, but in a fun way. So, uh, yeah, treat yourself and watch the Basket Case trilogy. Why not? What else have you got to do? Um, yeah. Dan, what's Fucking next? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, my second one, I was confident there was absolutely fuck all chance you were going to be recommending. Uh, it's uh, again, it's another one. I've done a few of these recently. It's a, it's an outsider giallo, but it's definitely actually not a giallo. It's from 1977 by Dina Risi. Uh, it's called Anima Persa. Uh, aka the locked room or lost soul i think is another title for it Mm -hmm. um it's uh about a a young man visiting a uh i think they're relatives it's hard to tell in venice um and he's told that there is a locked room uh up a set of stairs in this house and that's the one place he's not allowed to go and that the the man of the house's uh brother who is clinically insane is locked in that room and the only person who's allowed to interact with him is the is the is the man, the man of the house. Mm-hmm. But the the maid takes him up there one day and lets him look through the peephole where he sees this. Uh, I think he's a he's like an insect biologist, uh, just fucking going ape shit in this room. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, it's a it's a it's the, the you know the young man uh, meets up with a local girl and then has a, a, an increasingly peculiar relationship. I think they're his aunt and uncle, the the people he's staying with. And yeah, but it's about the relationship between the two brothers, mm. the brother in the room and the and and the the mad brother in the room and the regular brother <laughs> out in the world who is increasingly mad as the film goes on. Also, um, I there's a it's another one of these slightly hard to find ones. There are clips on YouTube. There's a company, I think an American company that does a DVDR of it that you can pick up. But yeah, so that's a this is kind of a call to Arrow to try and grab it. Yeah, I can't imagine it's. The, the rights are very expensive. It's a it's a real treat. It's very fucking weird, but it's not a giallo because there's there's definitely it's not about it's not a murder mystery. It's not a murder mystery. It's just a weird what's in, why is this guy locked in a room mystery. 
Cool. Excellent. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, so I will uh, take that recommendation. Uh, my next one is a film that I have recommended on the podcast before, but not linked to a specific movie. So this has been a, a past couple of weeks recommendation uh, when it came out on Blu-ray. Uh, it is The Dark Half. Now, The Dark oh, Half yeah. is, is kind of... Um, Stephen King's uh, and George Romero actually it's the, their most De Palma movie it feels very Raising Cane um, but uh, yeah I see that yeah also works in this context I think again I'm not going to say too much about it uh, because I have talked about it in the past on the podcast but if you have yet to listen to me and uh, you're yet to pick up I think it's Eureka's Blu-ray of The Dark Half there's loads of great extras on there and it really is a fantastic film that's it for recommendations dan what have you watched in the past couple of weeks uh so i have two recommendations that were both uh, sorry yeah i have two recommendations i'm going to make they were both recommendations to me from someone else that person has recommended me uh things before uh, and I've mentioned them and they uh, were embarrassed at being called out. So I'm not going to say who they are, but they know who they are. Uh, so both my recommendations this week come from the same person. Uh, the first is a, a film that's out on Arrow uh, Academy. Um, it's part of a six movie set called The Human Condition from 1959, directed by Masai Kobayashi. I know a lot of people out there have had it sitting on their shelves because it's nine and a half hours long. <laughs> and uh, and that is a daunting task for anyone. Um, I would, I've actually only watched the first uh, sixth of it, the first chunk of it. So it's about an hour and 40 minutes, uh, which I literally watched this morning. Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, the same, I think I said, the same guy directed Harakiri. It's... It, it's that level of quality. Oh, wow. It's so fucking good, and I cannot wait to get into the rest of it. It's about a, a, a conscientious objector for the Japanese war effort during the Second World War, who, uh, because of a paper he's written about the way that Japan is treating the Chinese workers in its mining system, which they're using to like sort of fund the war effort, is offered an opportunity not to be conscripted uh, if he goes and helps run a mine, an open face ore mine, that uh, that uses entirely uh, sort of Chinese indentured servants uh, to run it, and he takes with him his his love, who becomes his wife, uh, to go out there. And it's about his like he's a good man in the face of like fascist bureaucracy. It was very convert- controversial when it was released in Japan, and yeah, it's just about watching him trying desperately to do be, to do good and just having it ground down at every turn. Uh, there's a there's a big hopeful message in there. It's not as bleak as it sounds. Although I would I would warn people that there is possibly a scene where a real dog got hurt. Um, where a real what? So yeah, it's a real dog ah. got hurt. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not it's not shot or anything, but it's there's a there's a shot where a dog is thrown against an electric fence to demonstrate that the fence is live. Blimey. And while they definitely didn't throw a dog against an electric fence, they also almost certainly did throw a dog against so, a fence. <laughs> Yeah, against well, just sort of through the air a bit, but right, yeah, right, got it, got it. Yeah, anyway, yeah, but but the, the but that aside, you know, talking about problematic eras, uh, <laughs> from, from the fifties. But um, yeah, that aside, it's just gorgeous. It's so beautifully shot. There's a scene where a um, where six hundred and something Chinese prisoners of war arrive in a in a in two carriages on a train and are released. 
and he's desperately trying to stop them from gorging themselves on food that is nearby because they're so starved that if they eat too much they'll they'll die their bodies won't be able to handle it but they you know their instinct is to try and to try and eat and he's sort of like you know fighting them back from this food it's oh my god it's so powerful it's amazing it's an amazing film and like i said i can't wait for the i can't wait for the rest now you have inspired me dan with your talk of um finally getting things off the shelf and and all the rest of it and i'm gonna spring on you uh, a surprise new section of the podcast Ooh. that we're going to have during these um, self Trying self times. isolating <laughs> times. Um, we are going to start Dan making book recommendations. Now uh, I'm oh, not, not going to do it now. I'm going to let us <laughs> let us both think about it, um, and then I'll do my two films. You do your next film, and then at the end of this section, we're going to recommend books. Um, because I've not read any books, Sam. I've just been working through the scripts I've had on my desk for six months. <laughs> well, let's talk about those then. But it's it's a good thing for like the future, you know. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks is the Invisible Man, um, the 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 new one, the the Lee yes. one, um, because because of the situation um, that has been fast tracked to uh streaming to to rental yes if you're in the states it will cost you 20 dollars, and in the uk it will cost you 15.99 pounds but i fully support uh, a, a higher price on these films that are still in the cinema um because uh the the industry needs our help and um you know, if, if you rent these films, you can watch them with your family, technically. So, you know, what could have cost you 30 or 40 quid will now only cost you 15.99. Obviously, it's a bit tougher for people watching on their own. But if you factor in how much it would have cost you to get to the cinema and, you know, whatever popcorn or drinks that you bought while you were there, I still think it's a pretty good deal. And... The Invisible Man uh, and The Hunt are, are both available as part of this, and I haven't watched The Hunt yet, but I have. Oh my I god! Have... Let's talk about the, the yeah the, the the Invisible Man is incredible. I watched that two days ago. The Hunt I watched this morning. Well, there you go. Oh my fucking god! I didn't think I was going to see a better film than The Invisible Man this week. Well, there you go, <laughs> and, and that's it. That's the thing. Like these aren't just kind of slightly dodgy movies that have been chucked straight to streaming. These are genuinely brilliant um horror thrillers i i really really love the invisible man it's probably going to be in my top 10 it's so good the year at the end of the year it's just so so well done so cleverly done um and yeah you you should watch it please 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 i know that there are so few people who listen to this podcast who would ever do this um i know it's a very small minority but if you're sitting there thinking, oh, wow, Bonanza, um, Universal are releasing these films to VOD. It won't be long until they're on my favourite pirating sites. Please don't pirate these films. I'm begging you not to. Um, because the cinema that you love will not be here if we don't support it at this very, very difficult time. So, I, you know. I, while I entirely agree with your sentiment, I'm not entirely sure that the result is the same. I think if these these streaming services are able to prove that people will pay $20 a film without going to the cinema, then that's a kiss of death to the cinema and we no, will come out I, of this I, the other I, side I, with the I, cinema no, shut down. No, I disagree. I completely disagree. Um, what, what we need to do right now is keep 
um, the you know it might seem like these companies are all immortal um, and you you might be having a secret glee that Disney's stock has dropped so much that Apple are thinking of buying Disney um, but these are the times that we currently fucking hell is that real? yeah that's real so I totally missed that oh my goodness so the, the distributors you know and this is me speaking here um, Arrowhead you yeah. know that I am not someone who likes to support the big boys I like to support the the independence and you know my friends who are making movies but I'm genuinely scared for the future of a lot of these companies if um, if we don't kind of step up and support the films that, I, that we think we'll love such as the invisible I, 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 I agree entirely with that sentiment but I think you're unrealistically tying the success of these films to the success of cinema chains uh, there's a good chance that at least one of the big hitters in the UK is going to be bankrupt oh, 100%. And, and just non-existent in the near future 100%. and I don't think that demonstrating to people like Disney and Apple and so on that uh, these that people will pay a large amount of these films for a home premiere uh, is going to be the thing that keeps cinemas alive now, I, you know, whatever your feelings about your cine worlds and your Odeons and your views, uh, I think that the important thing, something someone did mentioned recently on Twitter, which was really nice, was, uh, you know, one thing you can do is you could buy gift cards for things like the Prince Charles or whatever as gifts while, while they're closed. And then that money is sort of banked. You're showing your faith in them going forwards. So that's a really nice thing. And, and while I certainly agree that it is worth spending the $16.99 on things like The Hunt and Invisible man and that and that i don't necessarily think that it's a vote cast for the future of cinema i think it's the it's definitely a vote cast for the future of interesting ip from companies but i don't necessarily think that it means those films will go to cinema in the future in fact i think conversely that it shows them that they don't need the cinema chains and that the iron grip that the uh distributors associate uh, the cinema association has had over that view window where they've been often real pricks about whether you know how long it can be before a film is released on home video that 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 power is going to get taken away from okay so okay. We, let, i think let, we're going to see that window closing fast. let me step in now because yeah. i couldn't disagree more what i am advocating for is that these companies don't take a massive fucking hit while we're all sitting at home for the next 18 months all these films that they've put money into that they're going to lose yeah, i agree with that right yeah, I agree um, with all that. And can I finish? Um, the other thing I want to say about the, the cinema chains going under, yes, we are facing a very real possibility of one of the, the real big hitters going under. Um, but when all this is over, people are going to still want to gather together at the cinema just because The Invisible Man is available to watch at home when there's no other way of watching it safely right now doesn't mean that everyone's going to suddenly go, oh, yeah, I quite like watching films on my laptop. I won't bother going to the cinema anymore. People are still going to go to the cinema when it's safe to do so. The independence will always be here if they can survive. So, yes, buy gift cards for your local indie cinema. If you can buy uh, gift cards for the, the big hitters, please do so. But also, please support these companies who have spent a lot of fucking money on films that, while I don't necessarily always support on the podcast... I still enjoy watching. Um, and at the end of the day, Dan, all I'm saying here is don't fucking pirate. Don't anyone pirate these films because 
these companies are taking a risk to put them out there for you. So if you want to watch them, pay for them. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, as I as I said, I think that we're we're making the same points. We just have a, a, a necess- like maybe a slightly different feeling about what the end result of all this is going to be. Yeah, um, I just don't think cinemas I, I, are going anywhere. I, if they can survive, and I think you're right to say people should buy gift cards, um, but people are always going to want to gather together to laugh and cry and be scared by a film in a group of people. So when we are able to gather again, I I think that we're going to be okay. I think think you're right, but I do also think that £16 for a film or $20 for a film, as much as I'm happy to pay for it, is if they they can see that that is a, a price point that people are willing to pay, then why would they share that with a Cineplex? That's all. I, I just, don't, I just don't, I just don't see it going that way. I really don't. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll keep, they'll keep putting films in the cinema as long as people are going to go. But if people are willing to pay that much for a home release, then what? Then they've made their money. Anyway, aside from all of that, the main point of this is that Invisible Man is fucking great. The Hunt is fucking great, and that pay, pay for both of those films. Yes, and any other good ones that that come your way. Are there any others? Because like the thing is, I see the invisible. When I log into Amazon, I see the Invisible Man like all over the fucking place. Like in on PlayStation, before you even go into Amazon, there's like a sort of a crossbar where it's like, oh, maybe you'd like this from Netflix. Maybe you'd like this from Amazon. We see that you've got BFI. We see that you've got Mubi. You know, whatever. And they recommend a bunch of stuff. Mm. But the hunt has been like really fucking hidden. Like I had literally had to search for it on Amazon this morning to find oh, it to be able to rent. Yeah, it. I mean, are there any other titles? like that that have hit there's, that you could you could suggest even if you're not seeing there's them, basically you know about yeah there's basically a section on amazon and i don't use itunes i just use amazon so i can only speak to that but um it's basically what's it called it's something like amazon cinema in the home or something it's a little section basically and so you've got the invisible man in there you've got the hunt you've got emma um and you've got the most recent troll movie now i can't speak for the troll movie uh though you know (laughs) who knows if you've got kids and you're stuck at home with them that might help um and i can't speak to emma because i haven't watched it yet but people i trust including you dan have raved about the hunt um so that will be my next buy um and obviously the invisible man um i i loved it and i guess you and i dan are very lucky in that we uh, have invested in um projectors and if, oh god yes if if you can More than ever. yeah exactly if if you can I, I know that I certainly know that not everyone can, especially at the moment when people are losing work and so on. But if you are able to invest in a projector at, at this time, it will make your isolation a little bit easier to deal with. Because, you know, I was planning on going to see The Invisible Man anyway. I had a, a date with my friend Julie um, when we both got finished with various things. We're going to go see it together. Now we can't do that. So I was able to watch it on a big screen anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, obviously I know not everyone can do that. But um, if you can if you can get a projector they're not too expensive you can you can pick up there's yeah if you if you're not if you're not insisting on getting like a 4k thing yeah. you can pick up a projector for for cheaper than you can pick up a big tv these days yeah exactly um, so all you need is a, then, a wall yeah. basically i don't have a screen i just project it on on a white wall and um it looks great so uh yes anyway god that was a bit of a rave and a rant sorry about that but no, yeah, all good. I'm just worried, man. I'm so worried about the film industry. Um, and I know you are too. So, uh, yes. What else have you watched over the past couple of weeks? 
Uh, the other one is a 1970 uh, Running Man precursor, oh. Das Millionenspiel, uh, a German picture. The other, the English title is The Millions Game uh, from 1970, directed by Tom Turler. Mm. It's essentially a fake TV show, like the whole movie is a fake TV show. If any of you have seen uh, Series 7, The Contenders, mm-hmm. it's probably as it's closer to that maybe even than Running Man. But it has it's the earliest example I can see of fake commercials as well, uh, which I really, really enjoy. But it's basically a, um, uh, a TV show uh, in Germany in the near future where people are just told that they're now going to get hunted. <laughs> And then uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of hunters go after them for a period of time, and if they kill them in that period of time, the hunters get some money, and if they if the person survives for a period of time, they get a, a million uh, Deutschmarks. And so yeah, the the millions game is the name of the movie. Um, again, as far as I know, there's not an English language DVD of it. The whole thing is on YouTube. Uh, it was covered uh, a little while ago on the Projection Booth podcast. And so I think it, it ended up on YouTube as a result of that um, with English subs. It's really, really good. Uh, and it's also really like forward thinking and prescient mm-hmm. about media and the way we co- the way we consume it. Um, yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, I haven't seen that one and I very much want to. Uh, now, originally, because uh, Dan and I, uh, because we did a double record last time, we haven't actually spoken for... Um, quite a while so uh i was originally gonna recommend uh, a found footage film called exhibit a a british found footage film because it popped oh, yeah. yeah it popped up on um the the be my cat guy um a, a film for Anne, um which i've recommended in the past and absolutely adore one of the best found footage movies ever made and he did a list of all the films that influenced his his movie um and exhibit a was on there and i hadn't seen it uh, but I'm not actually going to recommend it because it's so fucking bleak. And I think a few weeks ago <laughs> I was ready to recommend insanely bleak things. Like the last 15 minutes of this film is, is maybe the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. Um, but I'm not going to do that. You um, know people are going to watch it off the back of that. <laughs> um, well, if, if if you can handle it, then, then do watch it. But um, my true recommendation, uh, last recommendation for this week is... Uh, I have subscribed back to Netflix again because of all this nonsense uh, and I finally watched They'll Love Me When I'm Dead the uh, documentary about the other side of the wind and I just found it a real um, boon Uh, I found it very comforting What's what's the other side of the wind, Sam? Oh, so that's the uh, uncompleted Orson Welles movie uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that that Netflix um, invested in and, and got finished. It was the one that was going to premiere at Cannes until Cannes said no. You're a you're a website, not a <laughs> distribution company. So f off. And also, we're not happening this year. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, that was last year. Yeah, wasn't it? It, was, yeah it was. It was. Yeah, a, yeah. I think it might have even been the year before. Actually, it's, it's really yeah. that long ago. Yeah. So anyway, um, the the documentary is basically about that period of Wells's life um, and you know there's some behind the scenes stuff about uh, the making of the movie that's all very interesting and I love documentaries about filmmaking and filmmakers and um, so yeah this was one of the, the first ones yeah. I went to so they'll love me when I'm dead I recommend it that's it isn't it for that um, that's everything yeah should we do our 
Oh, wait, let's do that thing we always do. <laughs> Extra features. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? <laughs> Imagine if we forgot. Extra features? Extra features, extra features, extra features. There are no extra features. There are never any extra features, apart from last time when there was oh, some. Oh, no, there's some, there's some extra features. Oh, have you got some extra features? Yeah, we've got emails. Oh. People have been emailing us, and it's nice. It is, it's lovely, yes. Dan, why don't you read out an email? <laughs> I'm going to read you a couple of emails. Yes. And I'm going to react uh, to them. So this... Yeah. Uh, I'm going to massacre this person's name, so I apologise in advance. It's either Giles or Gilles or Gilles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antoine Duchian. Oh, fuck, I'm so sorry for saying your name so weird. Hi, Sam and Tan. Just want to thank you both for the excellent work. As a new father, it's getting hard to watch as many movies as before, but your podcast gives me a great dose of movie-loving discussion. If I could suggest a title from the Arrow Archive, I would love to hear what you guys have to say about Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. After a lot of viewings, I am still baffled by it. Yes. <laughs> Keep up the good work and take care. Thank you so much for your email. That was very nice of you. Uh, and then we have another one from uh, Gary Sykes. Uh, Gary says, I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now. Having never listened to or been a podcast person, I've been really enjoying it, particularly the Nightbreed episode uh, where I was in definite agreement about the merits of the original ending. Thank you very much. Uh, I just caught up on all the December episodes, in one of which you put a call out for listeners to send in any of their own projects that you might find interesting. And though I realise I'm a little late, uh, I thought I'd throw this in. It's not a horror, it's a teen movie, but definitely horror-influenced and sympathetic. I wanted to be Mean Girls meets The Warriors. Uh, There is an official director's cut which should be available soon. We made the film back in 2013 on a shoestring. The film was totally improvised, totally made up as we went along, uh, largely with the young by the young cast to reflect their own experiences of a young northern life. It's far from perfect, but it's definitely got its moments. Please do take a look if you get a second. So Sam and I have a have a, a link to that. Uh, we haven't watched it yet, but we plan to watch it in the near future. Um, and uh, we don't know if we're allowed to share that with the listeners. So we're not going to share the actual link with the listeners. No, definitely not. The <laughs> um, in the future. Yes, uh, two things, two things. One, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is actually on our current list of films that we're planning on doing. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, we're just kind of waiting on discs from Arrow, but uh, that is definitely one we're going to do in the future. Uh, not sure when, but, um, you know, it will be before the end of the year. So thank you for that, and we hope we do it justice. Um, and in response to the film, I actually did start watching this film and uh, got kind of waylaid by all the various things that I've got on. However, I did enjoy it, and it, it has kind of a kid's vibe. Yeah, so I'll I'll definitely return to that. I I think, actually, I wanted to watch it with um, uh, the team that I'm working with here. Uh, I think that's why I stopped watching it. But um, it was definitely good. And, um, yeah, good emails. And please keep them coming. Um, uh, uh, And the the email address is dan. It's arrowvideopodcast at arrowfilms.co.uk. And if you could do us a a, a massive favour... Um, and and uh, write your name phonetically so we don't butcher it <laughs> in the future. Um, that would be yeah. Really I do helpful. always feel fucking awful about that. Like I literally exactly, like yeah. I try and put foreign language titles through a translator and then have it say them back to me so I'm better at 
pronouncing them. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm better at pronouncing them. Oh, that is amazing. That is brilliant. Uh, I love pronouncing... Oh, no, I just went to say it wrong and I got it right, (laughs) which in a way means that I got it wrong. Okay, good. Uh, We're we're nearly at the end of this, you'll be pleased to hear, but I have a book recommendation. Oh, go on. uh, In these times, not only am I watching films, I'm also doing a lot of writing and a lot of reading. So... Uh, my dear friend Charlie Steeds, I saw him at Starburst and um, he recommended... Now, he's a Stephen King obsessive, um, but I learned about him at this festival uh, that he also absolutely adores Richard Lehman. And I've never read any Richard Lehman books before. Have you, Dan? Nor have I. No, 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 I haven't. But um, he recommended that I read the first one that he ever read, um, because it's basically like an exploitation movie, but in book form. And he said he couldn't believe the ending and he, he couldn't actually believe that someone had been allowed to write this down and he was reading it. So I was like, <laughs> well, on that recommendation, I've got to read it. So um, the basic plot, it's about a librarian who finds a note on her chair that basically invites her to take part in a game. Um, and there are clues um, in each letter she receives Um, and there's also money in each letter she receives and the money kind of doubles every time so it gets quite addictive Um, and yeah over the course of uh, 400 pages or so uh, she is led on uh, an increasingly more disturbing adventure which culminates with uh, charlie was right some of the (laughs) weirdest shit i've ever read um it's really really good and you can probably pick it up on amazon for um a penny with two pound 80 delivery or you know there and thereabouts um so if if you are looking for something to do isn't watching movies why not read a movie because that's what um in the dark feels like uh, by Richard Lehman. There we go. <laughs> book club. Arrow Video Book Club. Nice. Um, yes, and Dan will be will be here with his own book next time, right? With my own book that I've written. <laughs> oh yes, you can start reading chapters um, from a book you've written. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely thinking of starting a YouTube channel where I just read my favourite short horror stories to camera. <laughs> Do you know what? Genuinely, I considered this too. That's how mad we've all gone. Um, I, I yeah. genuinely considered that too. But um, tell me, let's let's do quick. Let's do Apocalypse Corner quickly. What have you been doing to fill your time? Uh, well, other than reading, it, what mad shit have you got up to? Well, I've I've actually started writing a book of my own. Um, I'm three thousand words in. Uh, and but all of them are fun. Uh, honestly, it is <laughs> it is really quite. It, basically, the premise is uh, a, a man uh, is uh, present for the birth of his son. Unfortunately, his son is uh, the prophesized antichrist who has taken the form of a human goat. So uh, the first chapter is a very a human goat. Is a very unpleasant um description of of what it would be like to uh to give birth to a goat (laughs) so yeah i'll see your madness and i'll raise you (laughs) what what have you been doing nice uh i'm uh i brought my 3d printer home from like my main 3d printer home from the workshop so that's been an an absolute cornerstone for me uh i'm working on a board game fantastic (laughs) yeah 
which is actually based on uh, a computer game called Quadradius. I have the blessings of the original programmers. The old version of Quadradius went offline in the last week or so, which is a fucking absolutely... I knew, We knew it was going to yeah. happen eventually, but that it has happened now is very sad. Uh, the the follow-up uh, of Quadradius called Crimson, spelled with a Q, Crimson, uh, is still online. It's It's great. I, I do prefer the original version, but uh, yeah, I have their blessing to to do a board game version. So I'm I'm sort of working out the machinations of Fantastic. that. Fantastic! And then, um, do you, and, and then do you think you'll do a Kickstarter for that? That sounds Kickstarter perfect to me. I think what I'm probably going to do because the thing is, I don't. Like, there's so many rules and so many pieces. Mm. Like it's unbelievable. For a, it's a legitimate board game. Like it's not like a tabletop game. It's not D and D esque. It's not a dungeon crawler. It's not anything like that. It's, it's just a board game. But there are so many fucking pieces and so many fucking like dice and just oh my god, it's fucking insane. So basically, I've got to make a set and work out what's in Well, ha- have a have a look. Where I go from there. Have a look at the game section of Kickstarter. I think you'd be surprised. There's been some absolutely massive campaigns. And yeah, that's and true. I'm sure, true. I'm sure this game has a lot of followers, and the fact that you have the blessing of the creators, I'm I'm sure that would be a goer. Um, we'll see. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to make one set, and then we'll play it for a, however long we're on lockdown, and then work out what we're going to do from nice, there. Nice. But I'll um I'll maybe I'll share some pictures online when I when I get a bit further down. Speaking the of sharing um, pictures online, what's your social media, Dan? Uh, it's uh, on Twitter or Instagram. It's at 13fingerfx. So it's 13finger, F-I-N-G-E-R, F for Foxtrot, X for X-Ray. Uh, it's what <laughs> it used to be, uh, films, politics, and dogs. Uh, now it's it's a whole fucking mess of stuff because I don't, I'm not doing anything else. It's going to be mainly dogs, so I think. Yeah. Yeah, mostly dogs. Um, I have something slightly different to talk about in terms of social media this week. Uh, I've been helping out with Hex's new YouTube channel, which is called Channel Hex. Um, And there is, believe it or not, a two and a half hour documentary about our adventures at the Starburst International Film Festival. This includes um, footage from the premiere of A Little More Flash, so the intro and uh, that very interesting q and I'm going to be honest with you guys, this this documentary contains some of the most humiliating moments of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I decided basically that they were funny enough to go in and also... I don't know, I'm coming from it from a slightly unusual perspective at the moment, which is that I really feel like, obviously, you know, as filmmakers, we want to project, like, the best possible image of ourselves at all times. Um, but actually, I think there's something to be said for also showing the low times as well. Um, yeah, there's a, a great film, what's it called? Official Rejection, I think. Oh, yeah. You've seen yeah, that, yeah. right? And And... Yeah. And so that that has a lovely mixture of, you know, highs, um, but many more lows. Mostly, mostly lows. lows. <laughs> um, and I remember watching that and really feeling like, oh, okay, you know, there's someone else out there who, who goes through this kind of stuff. Um, so I guess... It's more. It's very identifiable exactly, to see exactly. people at their, so, at their like most delicate. So do not expect two and a half hours of showing off from this documentary. It is mostly me being humiliated, but uh, I think you may get a laugh from it, and we could all use a laugh at the moment. So uh, you, you you had me at most humiliating moments of your life. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll just you wait. But yeah, um, that's on Channel Hex. Um, and yeah, it's it's the two and a half hour Starburst documentary. So uh, yeah, that's it for social media type stuff from me. Um, and that is it for this episode. Unless you have any final thoughts, Dan? No, no, I'm all good. I'm thought out, sorted out. Yes. All right. Well, we love you. We hope you're staying safe. And um, yeah. Stop touching your face. Yes, and just stay at home, watch movies. It's what we do. Uh, it's, it's, like, who thought that our hobby was the way we could save the world? Exactly. Yeah, very strange times. Buy yourself some vitamin D supplements and just watch films in the dark. Yeah, yes. Uh, here, here. Right, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Whatever that means now. Oh, God. Um, hopefully see you in a couple <laughs> of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.